Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Today, Pastor Tony is going to continue his sermon series, Then What? Exploring the challenges and triumphs of the early church following Jesus' death and its lessons for us today. How do you explain the speed at which a social movement grows? Today, the answer is simple. Technology. Social media exists because of technology. We've all seen the rapid pace at which a movement goes viral. The ice bucket challenge, the January 6th U.S. Capitol siege, Black Lives Matter, and the Me Too movement. But what about in the early church? In the first century, what factors can explain such rapid growth in which a handful of followers grew into 30 million in just 300 years and into the largest religion in the world today? That pace is comparable to today's viral phenomena. But what in human nature does it tap into to yield such swift results? Today's scripture is from Acts 2, 46 to 47. It describes what the life of the resulting community may have looked like following Jesus' death and ascension. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all, all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Success. It's the thing that many of us chase and many of us never catch. Success. But I guess it all depends upon how you define it. Each of us can have success defined in different ways. For some of us, we are mature enough to find that success really comes from a definition that you create for yourself. But many of us are caught up on that hamster wheel where we're always chasing success that has been defined for us outside of ourselves. Society at large tells us this is success. For our young people today, no one ever teaches them what success is. All they have to do is take their phones and look at a social media app, and they quickly see that that is success. And they have the challenge of trying to conform themselves into that image. But before we're too quick on looking and dismissing young people, the reality is that as adults, we have the same challenge. How we feel about ourselves is based upon how successful we can see ourselves. And when that success is outside of us, it can create all sorts of problems. Now, as a minister, it becomes even 
challenging also. Because we are taught from seminary, and then we are taught from our churches what is success. Success is, excuse me, but I'm going to be just very honest, butts in the pews. And how many we can count on a Sunday, that's success. But there's a second factor that comes into play. The money that you put in the plate. That also helps determine our success. Well, and you think it's just my problem, it's not. It's your problem too. Because a lot of churches have this idea of what it means to be success is people that attend and people that give. When we look back just at the history of Church of the Beatitudes, we talk about the glory days. When we had 3,000 members and we had literally hundreds of people at both services, that was success. Many individuals would now look at Church of the Beatitudes and go, what happened there? No longer successful. But is that all there is to being successful? Because if it is, the early movement, the early Jesus movement, was successful. It met those metrics. They went from a group of maybe conservatively 20 to 30 people at the time that Jesus was crucified. They went from that to millions in a matter of a few centuries. Now that's church growth. But was it success? Many individuals would say yes. And they will go to the Bible, and in particular, the book of Acts, and they will look in there and go, ah, that's the secret. That's the secret formula. If we could just introduce it into our churches, then we would have it all. It would be successful. Others look at the text that Janelle just read for us and say, you know, success is really quite simple. It's all about God. God is the one who will bless the church if they are aligned with God, if they're obedient to God, if they like the people that God likes, if they do the things that God likes, then God will bless them. Wait, wait, wait what did you just say? Your church isn't growing? Uh-huh. That means you probably are disobedient somehow. Get your act together. Clean it up, folks. You clean it up, You'll grow because God will bless you. But that's a real simple way to look at a very complex issue. So this morning, just briefly, I'd like to share with you three factors that had a significant impact that allowed Jesus' early followers to grow and lay the foundation for what would become Christianity. And then I want to ask you the question again, was that success? And you might be surprised by my answer. Number one, an exclusive monotheistic view of God. Monotheistic means there is a belief in one God. 
But we must be careful because that word can actually be used in two different ways. Monotheistic can be used in the traditional way that the majority of us understand it, in that monotheistic believes there is only one God. In anyone else that describes God or worships a God that has a different name than your God, well, that's really not God. Now, the pagans, which you have to understand at this time, the world was kind of divided in that Palestinian area. It was really divided into three groups of people. Jews, followers of Jesus, and pagans. Now, the followers of Jesus at that time were also Jews. So you really only have two groups, the pagans and the non-pagans. The pagans were often monotheists. They believed in an ultimate deity, but they allowed the other deities to exist. They just had their one that was above all the rest of them. So you may worship Apollo. Others may worship Zeus, and that's okay. And you might occasionally recognize one of the other deities, and that's okay. And then these followers of Jesus come along and go, no, no, that's not okay. You got to stop that. Because there is only one God. And we will tell you about that God. We will describe that God to you. We will define that God for you. All you have to do is believe in this one God. Oh, and by the way, you do have to forget about all the other gods. Uh, this is painted beautifully for us in Acts chapter 17, where the writer tells us this story. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, and again, please accept my apologies, ladies. Uh, they didn't know any better. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it. To an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm going to tell you about. Paul comes along and says, you, you have so many gods you worship. You may have your ultimate deity, but you even have this one God who's known as the unknown God. And folks, I'm here to make you smart. I'll tell you who this God is. And he did. And then he went on and said, all these gods you've been worshiping, just, yeah. that was the first factor that came into play. The second factor that contributed to this rapid growth of the followers of Jesus, the second factor was a mission-minded approach to life and to being a follower of Jesus. Now, this is really amazing. Today, two millennials later, it's not that big a deal. Evangelism, everyone does it, except, you know. So, 
But back then, this is a radical concept. Back then, the Jews of the day, they weren't evangelistic-minded. They were not out to convert people. They weren't standing on street corners with their bullhorns shouting for people to come follow Yahweh. It just wasn't part of their DNA. It's not what they did. Now, they didn't mind if someone wanted to convert, either fully or partially. But to go out and actually really knock on doors? No. Now again, remember that these early followers of Jesus, they were Jews. So that was kind of how they operated. So what happened? How did they go from no evangelizing to being these evangelistic-focused people? The key is the message that they created and we talked about last week. Remember we talked about when Jesus was seen perhaps in a vision by either Peter or Mary Magdalene, and word got out from there that Jesus had risen from the dead, then how do we explain all of this? And so they came up with this whole plan of salvation. But part of this plan of salvation was based upon a fundamental teaching that they held on to, and that they believed Jesus taught them that they are to love other people. So on one side, you have, we need to love all these people. On this other side, you have this other situation, which is, we need to save people. And the only way to be saved is for people to accept Jesus as the Messiah. And when you bring those two together, you create the perfect motivation for evangelism. Do you love your neighbor? Well, if you love your neighbor, you'll make sure that they're not going to hell. So how do you do that? Well, you go and you talk to them. It's, we've, they actually have a word for it today. It's called friendship evangelism. You become their friend. Now, the objective is to evangelize them, but you become their friend first. So you become their friend, and then once you become their friend, then you look for opportunities to tell them about Jesus. And then you save them. And your motive is very pure. You love them. You care about them. And you want them to be saved, which means you make them like you. So not only do you have an exclusive monotheism, but you have this evangelism that's taking place. And then the third factor comes into play. An all-encompassing life movement. You know, for the pagans with their gods, their gods were busy with a lot of stuff. And they weren't overly concerned with what human beings would do. But the early followers of Jesus, they were very focused on all aspects of humanity. So 
yes, you accepted Jesus as your Savior. And along with that came these two other components. One was the right way of believing. The way of believing about God, the way of believing about Jesus, the way of believing about humanity, and in time, the way of believing about holy writings. And then with that also came a sense of ethical conduct. How you ought to live your life. What God wants or does not want for your life. And those three things that came together, this perfect church growth trinity, is what explains the success of the early church. Now let's fast forward to 2022. You know, I was pondering this over the week and it hit me. You know, there's a group of churches, not to name any, but there's a group of churches that don't do any of those anymore. They don't believe there's just one God. They don't believe there's just one way to be saved. They believe in diversity. They believe that there should be many gods. They don't do evangelism. And when it comes to ethical conduct, everyone kind of does their own thing. We're all on our own journey. And there are articles written by other Christians saying the reason why these churches are not successful is because they've given up on those top three. So is that the answer? Should people go back to those three? My answer is no. Let me explain just briefly two of them. Number one, this whole idea of a monotheistic exclusive God. I pondered this week and I wondered about Acts chapter 17 where Paul went up and saw this image and said the unknown God. <laughs> what would have happened if Paul had looked at that and said, eh, you guys are onto something here. God is a mystery. God cannot be defined. Any attempt we make at it is just our, frail, our human attempt, our frailties of trying to make meaning of something. And so I'm going to respect that, and I'm not going to take that away from you. What would have happened? And second of all, this idea that we all have to conform. The idea that we all have to be alike. That as followers of Jesus, and now with the title we take upon ourselves as Christians, that we all have to act a certain way. An author that I read this week, someday I look forward to meeting her, Jan Phillips. She captured the essence 
of this idea beautifully at the beginning of one of her chapters. They, referring to church leaders, religious leaders, want to shape us into their image. They want to spare us injury. Did you notice that? They want to spare us injury. Their motive, more, the majority of them, their motive is pure. It comes from a good place of caring about other people. They want us to color inside the lines, blend in, stay alive. Now, they don't think of it as programming. They would not use the words social conditioning. But every child knows the feeling of constraint. We came here to explore, to invent, and to create, and to fly in whatever ways we can. But unfortunately, those who are responsible for us, who brought us in, they have forgotten mostly everything about flying. They say they are too busy to create. They fail us without meaning to. They will defend every choice, quote, for your own good, unquote. They will say again and again. One of my spiritual practices that I occasionally practice is coloring. And it's an adult coloring book. And these are Celtic Mandela's. The goal, unfortunately, is a mindset that has been instilled within me ever since I was a little kid. Stay in the lines. Can you remember back when you were a child and you were given something to color? Your success was based upon how well you stayed inside the lines. And even unfortunately to this day, I, I work hard to stay inside the lines. And then I thought of another thing. I love tattoos. They're over my body. And one of the things I realized is that a novice tattoo artist is given the stencil. And because they're just learning, they are taught how to pull a straight line. So it becomes really important that you focus on staying within the lines. Because if you don't, people like me aren't going to be very happy. But then you have the artist, 
the seasoned artist, the person that made this tattoo, I told them my vision. And then I stepped aside and I allowed their creativity to come to the fore. And he made a stencil. It wasn't pre-generic. He created it. But what was amazing about that stencil when he put it on my arm was it didn't have all the details. He had enough of lines on there to create the outline in which his creativity could take place. And then he went to work. It's one of a kind. It's an original. It will never be that a same tattoo on another person. Is it possible that as faith communities, we are at a time where actually our numbers are declining? But this is the perfect time to redefine what it means to be successful. Success is not having people just come in and give us their money. We do appreciate your money, though. So thank you. But do you, do you, do you see, maybe we need to redefine success. Maybe success is people coming in and feeling an atmosphere where they have the freedom to be themselves. A freedom where they can meet other people and they look at them and say, wow, I've never seen someone who, who wore a tattoo like that before, metaphorically. Let me show you mine. And it's like Jan was telling us earlier, the stories that we have in life, those are our tattoos that are etched into the very being of our skin and within. And maybe that's what spiritual communities can now be for others. A place where, yes, we have individuals, but individuals who enjoy being with other people and learning and growing with other people. That's a whole shift in what we mean by success and living in a capitalistic society who from the very beginning defines success for us. It takes courage to redefine what faith communities can be. I so believe in this community. I want us to be successful. 
But now you're going to have to decide for yourself what success looks like for you and for us. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.